reading this morning is from Galatians, the fifth chapter, verses 16 through 26. That's on page 1037 of the few Bibles. It's Galatians 5, 16 through 26. I'm reading from the King James Version. <clears throat> I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Uh, you being here is encouragement to us, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you also. Uh, to have Brian and Jenny and Matt and Carolyn, we welcome you. It's great to worship and serve God together, and we look forward to all the ways that God will give us that opportunity in the future. The Underground Railroad is quite a study in America history. It's a part of our history that in many aspects we cannot be proud of, but yet from another aspect, it's awesome to see individuals that would risk their life for the benefit of others, believing that slavery wasn't right and willing to risk their life to help offer freedom as individuals would escape from slavery, the southern states. As refugees, they would travel through the northern states to the Underground Railroad to finally cross Lake Erie and go into the land of Canada. You see, for them, it would be very much similar to a parallel in the spiritual world of heaven. You see, it was in Canada that they were free. Free to make decisions on how they wanted to live, where they wanted to work. They could own property. They could own many possessions. They were even allowed to vote there. But all oh, that travel, that escape, how could anyone do it? And it was proven over and over no one could do it alone. It took a lot of help. And that's how the Underground Railroad became formed. It wasn't a track and a train. The Underground Railroad was made up of a network of paths and passages leading with the train actually being farmers' wagons, canal barges, and boats where individuals could be hid, hid as they were transported. The stations were not stations on a track. The stations were homes. They were church buildings. 
barns and other buildings where individuals could enter in and there they knew they would be hid, they would be fed, and provisions would be made to take them on to the next part of the track, to the next station. William Steele was an amazing man that was born free. His family's story was quite a story. His father had purchased his own slavery. His mother was a runaway slave. She wanted to run back to her husband. The sad part of her story is that as she fled, she was only able to take with her two of her four sons. As she ran back, she changed her name from Sydney to Charity. And there, they were reunited, living in Pennsylvania, or living in New Jersey, and having other children. William was the youngest of those children. He grew up working on the farm, but wanting to do much more in his life. He moved to Pennsylvania, and there he became educated. And he became a writer. And many of his writings give us some of the greatest insight to what really took place in the Underground Railroad than any other of the writings. And the gift that he brought to the table of this historical aspect is that as he worked as a conductor, one that would actually take care of the individuals and hide them and transport them or be responsible for guiding them to the next place. You see, his job was to accept them into Pennsylvania and move them to Rochester, New York. But while he would do that, he would interview them. And he would start making historical documents because many of them being uh, of little education had anything written down about their history and about their families. And so he tried to gather from the thousands and thousands that would pass through the 1800s through his care. He began making notes on each one. And one day as he's making notes on one, the man described himself as Peter. And he described what he remembered about his mother. And he found out it was Peter Steele. It was his own brother that had not seen any of his family members for 40 years. And he helped his own brother that day escape into the freedom of Canada. Life is worth more than us as individuals. To believe that there's something more important than ourselves. To believe in a cause that is more important than just self. To believe that we can be a part of a higher calling. I know it's not a perfect parallel of an illustration, but think with me, if you will, for just a moment. You and I can remain slaves in the bondage of sin, or we can choose to escape that. But no one escapes alone. It takes a network, a network that begins with God. God the Father that would give His Son, and God the Son that would die on the cross, and God the Spirit that would give us the direction through the Scriptures, but also live within man to give man the inner strength to persevere along this journey. Right now, you and I are on this world. We're in life, but this life is not the destination. We're somewhere between the southern states and Canada. We're somewhere making our way and we need help, and we need to be helping others because we want to make it to that land of freedom, that land where it will be our home. Do you realize we're not at home? This is not our land. The rights that God wants to give us for an eternity don't compare to what we suffer from here. 
we can have so much more if we can only realize that this is just a journey. We're on a pilgrimage. And we're going from here to that great, great promised land. Paul does a masterful job writing to us in Galatians, the fifth chapter, the text that was so capably read this morning. And he reminds us that this journey is not easy. Go back and look, if you will, again, the first two verses. He says in Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 16 and 17, the first two verses of our text. Notice he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts. Now, I want you to notice here how there are two things working in opposition to each other here. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. In this text that was read this morning, seven times the Holy Spirit was mentioned by name. And then there were very beautiful phrases, very encouraging phrases where he talked about walk in the Spirit. He talked about being led by the Spirit. He talked about living in the Spirit. You see, the idea is we can go on a journey through life and we can live in the flesh. And that is, according to God, contrary to the Spirit. The Spirit is totally the other way. In other words, the word contrary literally means opposites. And so we can't travel this way with the works of the flesh and at the same time travel this way with the works of the Spirit. They're contrary to each other. And so we have to make up our mind. Are we going to walk in the Spirit or walk in the flesh? Are we going to be led by the Spirit or led in the flesh? Are we going to live our life by the Spirit or are we going to live our life in the flesh? But we have to make our mind. I can't imagine what it must have been like whenever the slaves, maybe working out in the fields, began whispering to each other, saying, let's make our break now. And can you imagine one slave saying, I'm running, I'm breaking, I'm going, and the other slave debating, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Friends, we have to make our mind. Are we going to leave the world or are we not going to leave the world? Are we going to walk with the Spirit or are we not going to walk in the Spirit? But we can't go back and forth. We can't be indecisive about this one. We either are in the world or we are in the Lord, walking by the Spirit. And it's not an easy thing to do. Turn with me to Romans, the seventh chapter. As we're turning there, I want you to think about this idea of walking in the Spirit. And the verse that you're going to is going to show us how tough it can be to make that decision. You know, when we think about walking... The tense here, back in our text in Galatians 5, the tense is a continual tense. And so it's not that we walk in the Spirit once, and that's all we do. It's a continual walking in the Spirit. But also, when we think about walking, walking is progress. This morning, if if someone told you, we walked all day yesterday, you would probably think in your mind as they were telling this, I wonder where they walked to. They go shopping all day, or they go on a hike yesterday. In other words, we expect progress. Well, if you walked all day, where did you go? What did you achieve? Now, what if somebody else told you, we stood all day long yesterday? We didn't move an inch, just stood there all day long. Well, progress doesn't come to your mind. Lord, how do you want us to live? He says, I don't want you to stand in the Spirit. I don't want you to sit in the Spirit. 
He says, I want you to walk in the Spirit. It's a continual progress because we're going from slavery to salvation. We're going from this earth to heaven. And he wants us to make that progress in our lives. But as we said, it's not always easy. Let's look at some random verses here out of Romans, the seventh chapter. Not totally random, but at least putting some things together. We don't have time to study the whole chapter here. Romans 7, notice what he says. For we know that the law is spiritual. Verse 14. Romans 7 and 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Does that sound like slavery to you? Sold under sin. Now notice this, verse 15. Let me interrupt this just a minute. If you've never studied Romans 7, this is going to sound real wordy and confusing. But when you get past the wordiness, this is so simple, just challenging. Okay? For what I am doing, I do not understand. What he's saying here, the life that I'm living here in the flesh, I don't understand why I'm living it. He does not understand why he's living this life. Why? For what I will to do. In other words, what I've set my intentions on doing was living by the Spirit. But then he says, that I do not practice. You see what he's saying here? I got up this morning and I said, I'm going to live for the Lord today. But yet now I find myself over here walking in the flesh. He says, but what I hate, that is walking in the flesh. I don't want to live in the flesh. That I hate, that I find myself doing. Let's read now verse 19. For the good that I will to do. See, now it's just the opposite. Now he's saying, look, this is the thing I got up this morning and said I was going to do. I do not do. The evil I will not to do, that I practice. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. See, it's about the spirit. It's about conviction. It's about commitment. And the law of Christ, the law of Christ is dedicated to the mind. We must give our mind to God. And so he says, I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members. See this war that's taking place? Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. He's described here, a civil war. He's described here a battle that goes on within each one of us. He can't do it on his own. So what's the answer? O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And the answer is, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Eighth chapter, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but, implied here, walk according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And we could read on as it talks about what it is to live a life in the Spirit, a life that's free from the flesh, a life that's free from the bondage of sin, one that's found their liberty in Christ Jesus. The old Indian grandfather explained to his grandson that there was two wolves that lived within every individual. And one wolf was wicked and full of hatred and evil deeds. And the other wolf was loving and kind and full of of gentle and, and merciful deeds. And they're warring and they're fighting each other. And the little boy with wide eyes asked such a wise question. Granddaddy, 
which one wins the fight? To which the grandfather explained, the one that you feed. Martin Luther would describe it and say that within everyone there are captains. Jesus Christ would explain to say that within all of us there are masters, but you can only serve one. Paul would write it and say that there's a battle going on. And we choose on which side we shall stand. The side of the Spirit or the side of the flesh. But we must make that decision. Let's go back to our text in Galatians, the fifth chapter. The passage we just left in Romans 7, it's somewhat of a comfort and also of a challenge when I hear the Apostle Paul writing and talking about how difficult it was. How he starts out with a day wanting to live one way and finds himself the other way. If all of us were completely honest with ourselves, we could say, I can identify with what Paul was speaking. I can identify with disappointing myself and disappointing God. Is that reason to give up and to never try again? No. Instead, it's reason to try all the more and to thank God that we don't do it alone. Let's look back at twofold in these last few minutes that we have. What's something, if we're going to walk in the Spirit, that the Lord would say, this has to be out, and the second, this has to be in? Here's what he would say, avoid. We're back at this fifth chapter in verse 16. He says again, but I say, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Lust is that sinful desire. Of the flesh, the flesh can desire many, many sinful things. In 1 John, the second chapter, he divides all sin into three major categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And so as he speaks specifically here, the lust of the flesh, that especially incorporates that of the things that deal with sexual immorality and the things in common with that. As a matter of fact, if you drop down to verse 19 in the fifth chapter, verse 19 of Galatians, Notice the first four sins that are mentioned, the works of the flesh, their adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, and lewdness. You see, they're the things that tie directly in with the lust of the flesh. Now this morning, if we drop back to Matthew, the fifth chapter, we see that one of the first things that we have to do with lust of the flesh, as he said in Galatians 5, he says, do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Matthew, the fifth chapter, he's saying one way to not fulfill the lust of the flesh is that first it has to be cut out. In other words, let's say that to walk in the Spirit is this way, but to walk in the flesh is this way, and an individual says, that's where I am. I'm walking in the flesh. What do I do? Well, first it has to be cut out. As it deals with the works of the flesh, you know how when you're on a path, and you're on the first leg of the path, if you stayed on the path, it eventually lead to a certain place? Well, when we read in 31, we see one of the places that the lust of the flesh can lead. And notice how he says in 31, furthermore it has been said. And what he writes about then is about divorce. And so we have furthermore. So we say, okay, if that destination there of the lust of the flesh is divorce, let's back up and see what is the path that led to divorce. 
And so let's begin reading in 27, Matthew the 5th chapter and 27. You have heard that it said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for the whole body to be cast into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. The lust of the flesh. Here he says, here's an individual that is lusting. And that lusting, furthermore, is going to lead to divorce. But is it wrong only at the point of divorce? And he says, absolutely not. It's already adultery in the heart at this point. So what needs to happen? He says, you need to cut it off. Cut what off? Cut the senses off that's leading to the heart. There are five senses that we have. You've learned that in school. All five senses touch the heart. Lust can be reached the heart through all five of the senses. We're reading here about the eye, and we're reading about touch, the hand. When we read in Proverbs, we read that the uh, adulterous woman whispered in his ear, my husband is away, come inside. You see that? It was lust being provoked by hearing. Also, we see that her perfume was used to seduce him. That's smelling, lusting through the sense of smell. And then also the taste of her lips were as honeycomb. Taste was being used to seduce. And so what is it that that causes individuals to lust? It can be any of the five senses. Well, what does the Lord say? Are we literally to dismember the body? I don't think that's what he's advocating here, but he is definitely advocating that whatever it is that is reaching our senses, we need to cut that out. Cut the things out that the eye is seeing that's provoking the lust. Cut the hand off that's touching the things that's provoking the lust. These things must be cut out. I mentioned to you back a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night as we studied a similar topic as this. Individuals that cannot control this, it'd be better to quit your job. Somebody says, I can't quit my... People quit jobs every day for all kinds of reasons. Why not quit to save your soul? Why not quit to save your marriage? If there's a situation that's gotten out of hand, whatever it is that's provoking, the senses has to be cut out. If if the computer monitor cannot be controlled by self-discipline and temperance, it has to be cut out. I couldn't do that. My job is related. Find a new job. You have to cut out whatever it is that cannot be controlled that's leading to lust. We must be serious if we're going to walk in the Spirit. We cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh. Cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, how do we do it? First, we do so by cutting it out. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. We'll see not only do we need to cut it out, but then this body. We are a soul that temporarily we're living in this body. In other words, this body is just a vessel. Notice what he says about this vessel. We're going to read in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, begin reading in verse 3. He's talked in verse 1 how we ought to walk. That's talking about that life in the Spirit, that walk in the Spirit. And notice what he says in verse 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Let's pause there for just a moment. Sanctification is related to life in the Holy Spirit. If we were to talk about prayer this morning, the primary person of the Godhead that we'd speak of is God the Father answering prayer. If we were to talk about justification, the primary person of the Godhead that we speak of in justification is Jesus Christ. If we're going to talk about sanctification, the primary person of the Godhead that deals in sanctifying us is the Holy Spirit. 
to be sanctified, be set apart. Well, how do we become set apart? We live our life walking in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, life in the Spirit. Those things sanctify us. They set us apart. So there's no surprise that verse 8, if you want to drop down, verse 8 says, Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us the Holy Spirit. So he's about to tell us something about what we need to do. And he says, listen, this isn't the words of men. This is the Word of God, the same God that gave the Holy Spirit, and He is God, that sets us apart, that sanctifies us. Well, what is it that He's going to urge us to do? Look at verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, talking about our own body, in sanctification and honor. You see, we're either living over here in the life of the flesh or we have been sanctified. We've been set apart and we're living in the Spirit. We need to not only cut out the sin of fulfilling the lust, but we need to move ourselves to the point that we are sanctified. We're living a life of honor for the Lord. Not in the passion of the lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. But friends, it's not enough just to cut it out and to clean it up. That vessel needs to be cleaned up. Would you dream of of drinking out of a vessel that was just corroded? You want me to tell you something gross? I cleaned out a stopped-up drain yesterday. That trap, I've never smelt a trap stink like that. It was terrible. I promise you, You wouldn't dream. You know how any of you grew up in the country, you had a little dipper, you went, dipped out water and drank. You wouldn't have dreamed of using that trap like a dipper. You you couldn't be paid enough to do that. What kind of vessel are you? Corrupt? Living by the flesh? The Lord says, cut that out sanctify, honor, clean up the vessel. But not only do we need to clean it up, but look at Romans the 8th chapter. I'm sorry, Romans the uh, 13th chapter. In Romans the 13th chapter, we're going to look at verse 12. It's going to sound like a review until we get to verse 14. And when we get to verse 14, we're going to see that we need to keep it clean. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. You see, this is a journey we're on. And our day is is drawing to an end. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. See, that's cutting it out. And let us put on the armor of light and let us walk properly. See, that's the sanctification. That's cleaning it up. As in the day, not in revelry, drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. But notice this third point. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Not just cut it out, not just clean it up, but now that it's clean, stop making provisions. What are provisions? Provisions are the things necessary to fulfill something. Provisions is taking the time to make things necessary to to fulfill things. What What if your friend or your spouse said to you this coming Friday, hey, we're going to take a little weekend trip. Great, great. Are the provisions made? Yeah. Yeah, I, I got a debit card here. Reservations are made, the tank is full, transportation's here, we know what we're going to do Saturday, we've got Saturday evening's reservations made. So, whoa, provisions are all made. What about the other hand? 
Someone says, we're going on a trip. Oh, I forgot to get any money, and I don't, I don't have any resources. I didn't make any reservations. Don't really know for sure where we're going. Don't know what we're doing. No provisions made. Fulfilling the lust of the flesh. No provisions can be made. How many times have you heard someone that's entered into sin in the flesh and just say, uh, I don't know, it just happened. No, it didn't. It never just happens. Provisions are always made. Provisions that begin as lust in the flesh. Lust to fulfill things. Well, I hope I see him here. And if I ever see him there again, I'm going to say this. Or maybe I can make this situation work out so that we can be here at this same time. And all these provisions are being made for the flesh. And we can't say later, it just happened. We made those provisions. We must avoid that. As we close, and it just has to be a closing comment. You see in verse 22, not only do we take those things out, we put in the fruit of the Spirit. I need to notice that it's not fruits of the Spirit. It's singular. Fruit of the Spirit. Because all of these things have to be active, be fruitful in our life at one time. Do we love? Do we share joy? We've sung songs and we've had prayers offered this morning about the joy that we have as Christians. Do we have peace because our life is right with God? Are we willing to be long-suffering, forbear, be patient? Are we kind? Are we good, a moral excellence? Are we faithful to God and each other, loyal and true? Are we gentle, a meekness? Are we under self-control? Discipline for God's control. Friends, we have to make that decision. A walk in the flesh or a walk in the Spirit. If you've walked in the flesh long enough, today's the day to begin that life of walking in the Spirit. The stations of the Underground Railroad they almost always were marked by a lantern hanging on a hitching post. They knew there would be a safe haven for the evening. Can you imagine how scary it would be to know that there are headhunters making their living searching for runaway slaves? Knowing that there were masters and even a nation that would love to find you? Think how it felt to see through the darkness a safe place. It must have been an awesome comfort. The world's scary. The world is full of disappointments. This morning our Lord is holding up a lantern that says, Come unto me all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If you've never been baptized into Christ for mission sins, to experience that rest, won't you do that this morning? If you have, but yet you strayed away and let sin separate you, won't you repent of that and let's pray forgiveness, but let's make sure that we all make the right decision this morning and that we devote our life wholly to the Master that loves us like none other. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.